Good morning, Mercy Hill Church. Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We're continuing in our series on Advent entitled Wonder Again. Today we're looking at the idea of anticipation. Some of you are thinking to yourself, why are we looking at Jesus? It's not Christmas yet. We're, we're not, not quite yet at least. We're going to jump over the story of Jesus' birth. So look with me to Luke chapter 2, verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. As adults, it's easy for us to forget how much anticipation is wrapped up in this season that we call Christmas, especially for children. When I was growing up, weeks before Christmas, we would begin to make our list. Now, you've got to understand this is before Al Gore invented the internet, before Amazon existed, before any kind of technology Even Walmart was where we went to get our toys, but there was no super center. It was just Walmart. And we would take out Sears and Roebuck and JCPenney, and we would open up these catalogs and begin to make our list, and the anticipation would build. I bet you have your own Christmas stories when you think about the anticipation. In fact, do this. Turn to someone who's near you, maybe somebody that you didn't ride with to get here today. 
and share with them your favorite Christmas story when you think of anticipation, when you think about the idea of waiting. What's your favorite Christmas story? And if this is, if this is your first time here or you're a guest and you're like, I don't want to talk to anybody, just go get some coffee. It's cool. <laughs> just, you're good. But if you want to be naughty and you want to talk during a church service and turn to your neighbor, you got 60 seconds. Share your favorite Christmas story of anticipation. Go. All right, let me have your attention. That was a fast minute, wasn't it? If your anticipation stories were anything like mine growing up, they usually involved a gift. That sounds similar? I mean, the anticipation of, of a bike, and I can remember finding my bike. Big red huffy, found it in the basement. And that was kind of the way that anticipation worked at, at my house. Uh, my brother and I had this terrible habit of searching for our gifts, and uh, we would always find our Christmas gifts. It was like we would search and search. I mean, there were only so many places that you could hide Christmas presents in a three-bedroom ranch-style home, right? And so I remember one year when my mom, she was so angry, she said, well, that's all you're getting for Christmas, so if you want to spoil it, go right ahead. Kind of put a damper on our searching for about five minutes, and then we said, yeah, let's spoil it. <laughs> we just kept going, you know, because there's so much anticipation that's found in the gift. We all love receiving gifts, even as adults. We get a gift in our hand, and we begin to look at it and examine it. It's small. What could it be? Maybe money, or, what? or it's heavy, or it's large. And even as adults, we begin thinking and pondering, and the excitement begins to grow and what most of us fail to understand is that that anticipation that we get caught up in, both for kids and adults alike, little do we know that we're acting out a drama that's unfolded throughout human history. Do you realize that? That every, ever since Genesis 3, when sin entered the world, when Adam and Eve rejected God, ever since that moment of mistrust, we in ourselves have experienced fragmentation or, or splintering. You know, a lot of times when we talk about sin, the classic definition of sin that I heard growing up was that sin means that we've, that we've missed the mark that God's appointed for us. And that didn't really help me as a child. I was like, what does sin have to do with archery? Like missing the mark, a target? It's not a good image. Sin splinters. 
It fragments. You say what? Everything. Our physical bodies, our emotions, our souls, our relationships. Sin alienates us from one another and most importantly from God. And ever since that moment when our spiritual parents mistrusted God, men and women have searched with an ever-increasing anticipation for someone or something that would make us whole again. See this across the board. Something that would bring order out of chaos. The anticipation grows as we search for something that would bring meaning and purpose to life. Something that would give us direction in our lives. And if you don't think this is true, I'm not just talking about what we would call quote-unquote religious people. Everyone. I talked with a friend this uh, last couple of weeks and uh, he is agnostic, I would say. Spiritually open. And And I have encouraged him to order and read a book entitled The Reason for God by Tim Keller. We had a phone conversation two weeks ago just around the idea of the book. He hasn't gotten to the book yet. He's ordered it. He's looking at it. He's scared to open it. He said, I can't. This says the reason for God. Is this the reason for Christianity? Is this the reason for church? I said, it's the reason for God. He said, because I can't do Christianity and religion and I can't, I can't do all that spiritual stuff. I said to my friend, what are you talking about? Can't do all this spiritual stuff. You're already doing it. He said, what what do you mean? I said, you're looking for order in life. You're looking for direction. That's why you go to NA meetings. That's why you've chosen to live a life in which sobriety is better than staying high all day. He said, that's true. I said, where does that moral ethic come from? He said, I don't know, but it works. I said, you're a spiritual person. We're all looking and anticipating and waiting for something that will give us direction in life that will make this life make sense. And Advent is a time of waiting and reflecting and remembering and for some people maybe finding for the first time that Jesus is the only one who can offer our souls what they long for. Here's the big idea for today. I know it's a long introduction. The big idea for today is this. Advent gives us space to evaluate our worship. Advent gives us space to evaluate our worship, to evaluate who we worship and what we worship. And we're going to look at two characters in this story who help us to do that today. In verses 22 through 24, as we examine this story, it's interesting to note a couple of things from Mary and Joseph's obedience. They, they come into the temple, into Jerusalem. Do you see the Old Testament and the way that it's set up? That there was a constant reminder that only those who were holy could come before God. There was actual preparation before their time of worship. It's interesting. We've kind of lost sight of that unfortunately. But for Mary and Joseph, they're obedient in coming to the temple, to Jerusalem. Two things are taking place here. First, there's a purification ceremony that's taking place. Mary would be considered unclean according to the Old Testament Levitical law. Joseph, who most likely helped to deliver this baby, also would be considered unclean for a certain number of days. And so they're going in order to be purified. And in verse 22, it says they, that doesn't include Jesus. Jesus doesn't need to be purified. But 
uh, Joseph and Mary do. And, and the second thing that they go for is they go for the presentation of the child. And just one thing to note here, if you look at uh, Levitical law, they don't bring a lamb. Instead, they bring um, a poor person's offering. They bring either two pigeons or two turtle doves. They brought the offering of the poor. And we're reminded that Jesus was born, yes, in a lowly manger, and he was also born in a lowly family, a poor family, at least in worldly standards today. Now, in verses 25 through 32, one of our characters shows up on the scene. His name is Simeon. Don't know a lot about him. Uh, we typically, typically, we think of him as being really old, although there's no evidence to suggest this other than his cheerful readiness to die. And so we think, yeah, he's probably old. <laughs> I suspect he was. And while I make uh, a little jest about that, I believe he was because neediness and brokenness help to clarify our longings. Let me say that again. Neediness and brokenness help to clarify our longings. And old age brings both neediness and brokenness. Ask anyone who's getting older and they'll tell you the older they get, they become more and more needy and they realize how broken they are. You say, broken in what way? They say, in every way. <laughs> Just sit down, I'll tell you. And you've, someone who is older has seen enough in their life and they've had experienced enough if they are wise. Just because you're old doesn't mean you're wise. You can do the same foolish thing over and over again. You can have foolish experience or bad experience, but you can also be wise and know that this world doesn't satisfy. Instead, old people will tell you this world doesn't satisfy. Instead, it takes prisoners. It maims, it injures, it's ruthless. Because you can fake it for a while. While you're in your 30s, you get Christmas cards from people in their 30s, maybe early 40s, Across the board, you're going to see, it's going to reflect, little Johnny's got straight A's, and little Susie made National Honor Society, and so-and-so won the national, you know, whatever on their sports league. But when you get in your late 40s and your 50s, people stop sending Christmas cards. Or they just send a Christmas card with a picture on it. And nobody tells about their divorce in their 40s on their Christmas card. No one certainly tells about their children's divorce in their 50s because it's too painful. Life has a way of catching up with us. Life takes prisoners. And Simeon knew this. And because of that, he put his hope in someone who was larger than life. It says that he was righteous and devout. Interesting words. Righteous means it indicates that he behaved well toward other people, but devout means that he was careful about his religious duties. We'll come back to that. I think that's important in evaluating our own worship. Are we careful in the way in which we follow Jesus? And he was a man who was waiting for the consolation of Israel. So he was looking for a Messiah. And the scriptures say that the Holy Spirit was upon him, which was most unusual. Up until this time throughout the Old Testament, it seems that most of the time the Holy Spirit... Uh, typically rested upon one for a specific period of time, for a specific purpose. But in this case, we see that the Holy Spirit was continually, it seems, upon Simeon. And this day, the Holy Spirit revealed, um, or earlier, in some way, the Holy Spirit had revealed that he wouldn't see death and, until he had seen Jesus, until he had seen the Messiah. 
And this particular day, he came in the Spirit into the temple. And think about that for a moment, what Simeon's life must have been like. The Holy Spirit said, you're not going to see death until you see the Messiah. And Simeon has centered his life around this place of worship. Think what his life must have been like, the anticipation that Simeon must have lived with. He knew Jewish history. He knew the book of Micah that we studied last week and the prophet Isaiah who had predicted the Redeemer who would come, the one who would fulfill the covenant of David. And Simeon must have woke every morning with a question, will today be the day? How many babies had he seen presented at the temple of Jerusalem? Wondering and waiting. And just seeing the sight of Jesus, really interesting in this passage, just seeing the sight of this baby brings peace to Simeon. Isn't that amazing? We all look at babies and we say, well, they're cute. We don't usually say that babies have power. This baby, just the sight of him, brought peace to Simeon. So much so that he was now content. He was fulfilled. He was ready to die, to pass away, to see God. It's it's amazing. Peace from a baby who hadn't even done anything yet. This was a baby who cried when he was hungry, who needed his diaper changed like any other baby, but there was something special about this child. He shares that with Joseph and Mary. Look in verses 33 through 35. Simeon delivers both glorious and painful news to Joseph and Mary. You know, the gospel is always painfully glorious. You can't share the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ without sharing the pain of sin and suffering and the splintering that it talked about takes place. But the gospel is also glorious. And Simeon delivers that news to the parents he says, Jesus will call the thoughts, he'll cause the thoughts of the hearts of all mankind to be revealed. Isn't that amazing? He'll cause the humble and poor in spirit to be raised to life in God, and he'll cause the prideful and rich of this world to be judged. And finally, in verses 36 through 38, before that, although he warns Mary, he says, a sword will pierce her soul. Speaking of the future crucifixion of Jesus, Surely nothing could be more torturous for a mom than to see her own son crucified. Now, we see Anna appear on the scene. In the midst of all this taking place, in verses 36 through 38, this passage ends with the prophetess Anna. and She's really interesting. We know she's older. She's, maybe she's 84. It's kind of hard to tell. I, I think she's probably more like about 100, 105. Um, it's hard to discern from the way in which the scriptures describe her marriage, but clearly she's had time to remarry, but instead she chose to remain as often as possible in the temple. Now, probably didn't have a place where she slept there because women would not be allowed to stay in the temple overnight. They could come into the the court of the women, Um, but she was there as often as she could be there, worshiping, fasting, in prayer. And Anna is a spectator for a moment and she witnesses Simeon's blessing and immediately she begins to speak of Jesus. And she begins to speak of him to all who were waiting for his redemption. Now imagine that. Anna is caught up in this story and 
in Jerusalem in a time and a period in which Herod was reigning and wasn't really very popular to speak of Jesus and this child who was born, she's telling everyone who's been waiting on the redemption of Jesus. Her natural response to the blessing of Simeon is to go and tell. That's today's story. Now for us, today's Advent story points us to two characters Their ambition and their anticipation have become so out of control, it could only be explained as really an obsession. Think about it, what we would call worship. I mean, think about their lives. Their focus on the need for a savior or redeemer, someone who would come and rescue them, it had led them into the very presence of the baby Jesus And in that, they're overwhelmed with peace. They're overwhelmed with gratitude. I think they're flooded with joy. Their very worship had encompassed all that they were. It had affected their lives. Think about this. Their worship had affected their schedules. Their worship had affected their finances, their relationships. It had even affected their emotions and their very souls. Like all that they were were wrapped up in this longing and this hope in seeing the Messiah and in worshiping him. I want to encourage those of you who are older, and when I say older, I'm not old. I'm 41. If you're over 45, we'll call you older in our congregation. How about that? I want to encourage you if you're older. Anna was so old, she had become of little earthly use. Honestly, what could she do? But... Anna was so old, she had finally become productive for the kingdom of God. Study was done and uh, spending time with some leaders last week in Nashville, and we were reminded of the importance of finishing well. They said of all the studies that have been done, it seems that your most fruitful years for those who finish well are in your mid-60s. Your second most fruitful years for those who finish well are in your mid-70s third most fruitful years are in your mid-50s. That should encourage us as young people. One, we have no idea what we're doing. (laughs) If you feel like I have no idea what I'm doing, good. You're in the right place. Two, should encourage young people that the things that are important to us today probably won't be important to us 20, 30 years from now. Some people are smiling at me who are older. And it should encourage those of you who are over 45 and you're older, you're in your fruitful years. God can use you. The kingdom of God is moving forward. God wants to use you greatly. Anna, she's allowed her neediness and her brokenness to help to clarify her longings in her life. You know, Jesus does that. Advent's a time of waiting I don't know what you're waiting on in life. Some of you are waiting for people who hurt you 8 or 10 or 12 years ago to come back and apologize. Some of you don't even realize it, but you're waiting on people who are dead to come and encourage you, make things right, change things. Some of you are waiting and you're looking to something that your heart is set on that you've dreamed about for a really long time. We're all waiting for something. 
Have you ever thought that what you're waiting on, the thing that you're putting your hope in, the thing that you would say is your need might be the very thing that Jesus wants to use in order to clarify your longings and to draw you not to that need, but to draw you to him. You know, we sing a lot of songs and one that we sang this morning was, I'm running to your arms, I'm running to your arms. The riches of your love will always be enough. Nothing compares to your embrace. I wonder how often we run to Jesus' arms because we're longing for what we desire. Instead of running to Jesus' arms, merely because we have come to realize that Jesus' arms are all that we should desire. Neediness and brokenness in our lives help to clarify our longings. And it's so important that Jesus would say things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What is he talking about? People who are broken? We have to get to the end of ourselves before we can embrace his kingdom and his righteousness and his ways, not our ways. And Advent helps us with that. The bottom line of today's message is that Advent gives us space to evaluate who we worship. We've got a few clarifying questions that I want to end with before we come to the Lord's table to worship through communion. When you look back at 2017, what did you accomplish? Honestly, think. I love the fact that Advent is at the begin, at the end of a year and just before the beginning of a new year. So it helps us look back and then it helps us give us vision and clarity to know a right perspective and how we should look forward. When you look back at 2017, what did you accomplish? Really mean it. Think back. Get a lot done in a year. Most of us are tempted to consider our big accomplishments as things like job promotions or large purchases, maybe a house or a car, or great performance, whether it's in sports or school or a degree, whether it's us or our kids. The kind of stuff that we would add to our Christmas cards every year, that's what we're tempted to think of. Of the things that you count great in 2017, let me ask you this. How many of them touch eternity? How many of them outlast this life? That's a sobering question. Of the things that you look back on in 2017, how many of them touch eternity? The things that you would say, these are great accomplishments. It's a sobering question. Obviously, we don't know the answer fully, right? That's God's grace in our life that we don't know the answer fully. Because God's gonna use us in ways that we couldn't imagine, but we also bring pain and hurt in ways that we can't imagine. And it's God's grace that we don't know. And it's God's grace that he offers forgiveness to us. But it's a sobering question. So in light of 2017, who did you worship? Listen, worship isn't purely about what we do, but rather who is the object of our affections? Who? 
Not a house or a car or a job or some big thing that we would say, accomplishment. If that's the object of our affections, it'll always pale in comparison to Jesus and we'll always be disappointed. Always. Whatever you're disappointed in in 2017 probably means that there is at least a chance that you set up the expectation that whatever it was that you set it up in order to worship it. Like to say, if this would happen, then I would be happy. If this would happen, then I would find joy. And because it didn't happen, and because your expectations didn't, they weren't followed through on, now you're left, and you're, you're left with this longing. You're left with this hopelessness. You're left with this question of what if, and you're waiting. What I want to encourage you in this morning is that Jesus comes to us in our waiting. Because in our waiting, there's actually space in our hearts and in our souls and in our minds for Jesus. There's actually room for worship. Now, let me ask you the most important question of all. Who will you worship in 2018? Honestly, who will you worship? What are you hoping to see God accomplish in you in 2018? Like, how do you want to draw nearer to God? How do you want to grow in the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ in 2018? How are you hoping to draw closer to him? Like, what's your strategy for that? You know? Like, when we want to lose weight, come up with a strategy for it, right? What's your strategy for drawing closer to Jesus? And who are you hoping to disciple in 2018? Like, are there people whose names are on your heart and on your mind? Like, I asked my missional community this last week, I said, how many of you want to make a difference in life? Like, raise your hand. Everybody, I want to make a difference in somebody's life. So how many of you want to disciple someone? Yeah, curiously, you know, hands went up. I don't believe there's any greater difference that we can make in someone's life than to see them come to know the person of Jesus, fall more in love with him, bow our knee to him, and say, God, I come to you. I give you all of myself. And then imagine the potential that's wrapped up in that one individual of all that the Holy Spirit can do in one individual's life. You say, how much can the Holy Spirit do in one individual's life? Resurrection. So how much power is that? I don't know. Never seen anything like it. Resurrection. One person's life. I've got this prayer map, and I put it in my journal. And it kind of starts with me, and then it's like, it goes out to these different relationships and I'll draw someone's name that I'm praying for who doesn't know the Lord, and I'll write their name in it, and then I'll write like their family members coming out from that, and their friends, like people they know that they could lead to the Lord. And this prayer map that I've been developing over the last six months or so, it just keeps growing. And every day I take it out when I open the Word of God, and I say, God, who do you want me to pray for today? Who do you want me to connect with? Which of these disciples are you at work in their future disciples? Are you at work in their life, hopefully drawing them into your kingdom? And I'm trying to trust the Holy Spirit that I would give him the freedom in my heart and life to direct me. 
to specific actions. Like there's one guy this next week that I'm going to spend time with. And uh, he's made me an offer. And um, I'm going to take him up on it. And we're going to spend time together on Wednesday. And I'm just excited to see how God grows these relationships. And I'm prayerful that I look back at 2018 and I say that there are disciples who have been made because of my work? No, because of the work of the Spirit. But what are we setting our hopes on? What are we longing for? What are our affections attached to? Who will you worship in 2018? You know, we spend our lives in anticipation. We do. We long for the weekend and for summer vacations. We long for better jobs and more money. And for whatever the next thing is that we haven't earned or found or bought. A lot of anticipation. Simeon and Anna give us a picture of true worship and the results that it brings. Because when we fix our eyes on Jesus, listen, I could easily preach this message and tell you that Anna lived at the temple, because it seems to suggest that if you don't do a little digging. And she was there all the time. And she had dedicated her life to Jesus and, and knowing, like coming to see him. And the same for Simeon. And I could give you this long list of rules and duties that you should be about. You know, you should be about good religion. You should be about checking the box and the next thing. That doesn't change our hearts. These were two people who had fixed their eyes on Jesus. And when they found Jesus, they experienced peace. And when we find Jesus, we experience a kind of peace that brings gratitude to us. When we really encounter Jesus, we become grateful for all that he has, all that he is and all that he's done in us. And it, it brings us to a point of joy in which we do what Anna did. We can't help but tell others. And so you say, what's the strategy for making a difference in someone's life in 2018? What's the strategy for making disciples? What's the strategy for being a good Christian? Jesus, fix your eyes on Jesus. You say, what does that look like? Well, good question is, are your eyes fixed on Jesus? And if not, in this Advent season, in a time where we can evaluate our worship, what do you need to turn from? Just very simply, what do you need to turn from? What have you put your hope in? What are you longing for? What's the thing this last year that because it didn't happen, your expectations got set up and they got knocked over? And you realize that in your waiting, that you misapplied your worship. That you move from the creator of the universe and that you've begun to worship something that was created. Advent is a time that allows us to draw our hearts back to Jesus. Simeon and Anna, they came to recognize the gift that wouldn't grow old or break or lose its wonder. Instead, this gift would become more precious with time, more cherished, more valuable, more essential. Do you treasure Jesus above all else? Does your life reflect this in the use of your time, your finances, your hopes, your dreams, your souls? Listen, I don't want to waste my life. 
And if we don't examine our worship and our longings and what we're waiting for, we'll waste our lives because the world is constantly distracting us and pulling our attention away from Jesus. It's why on a daily basis, we have to repent and come back to him. Say, Jesus, I want you to be the anchor of my soul. I want you to be the center of my affections. What would it be like in 2018? What would 2018 look like if we focused our worship on Jesus? Because Jesus is like a fine wine. Just gets better with age. Not because he changes, okay? But with time, we have the chance to see more and more our need for him. And our need helps to lead us into his presence, which always results in gratitude. And it leads us to worship. And it leads us to joy. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Today we come to his table. And as we come to his table, we're reminded of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. I wonder why Paul put this next part in there. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. Isn't that interesting? And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus is coming again. And on the night that he took the bread and that he took the cup, I find it quite interesting that he extended it to Judas, the one who betrayed him. You say, why did Jesus ever do that? Jesus had to know that Judas was going to go out and hang himself. I think Jesus did that because if Jesus would be willing to extend that cup and that one last time of saying, will you turn from your sin and will you follow me and will you make me glorious and will you worship me, that Jesus turns to us and he says, will you center your heart and your affections upon me? You cannot be too far away. Your sin is not so great that I cannot forgive you. The cup is a reminder that forgiveness is for all of us as we turn from our sins, as we worship Jesus. Evaluate your worship. We invite everyone who's a follower of Jesus, everyone who's turned from their sins and who's followed him and they've trusted in Jesus and his life and his death and the resurrection, the great resurrection of Jesus in order that we would have eternal life, that all of you are welcome to come to his table. And as you tear the bread to remember his body broken for you and as you dip it in the juice to remember his blood poured out for us that even today offers us forgiveness of sins. Let's turn to him. Would you pray with me? As the band comes forward, Father, we thank you that as we turn to your table today, that, Father, we're reminded that we have life. We have life abundantly because of Jesus And so, Father, I pray that you would give us the supernatural ability that we could wonder again at Jesus. God, I pray that you would enable us just to cut through all the clutter of this world, 
God, I pray that you would give us the kind of wisdom that our years and our experience don't yet offer us, but that we might be able to see that the longing of our hearts and our souls and the areas where our worship's been misdirected, how Jesus offers us peace and how Jesus makes us grateful and how he gives us joy. Father, I pray that we would be a people whose heart's affections are focused on the only one who can give us life. Because Jesus, that's what you said you came to give us. You came to give us life and life more abundant. Thank you for your table that reminds us of the life that you offer us today. Even to us today, right now, as we turn to you in repentance. God, I pray for anyone who's here who doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Pray that they wouldn't go to this table, but that they would go to a missional community leader, a friend that they came with. They would talk with me. They would come to encounter the risen Jesus alive and at work, even in their heart today. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. His table's open. Come and worship.